listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, this hour of Sportsnet Today coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basin Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. We start the hour off with some breaking news from the NHL and your Calgary Flames. We'll get to that in just moments. Quick reminder, if you missed anything in hour one, we heard from Nikita Zadorov and Nazem Kadri as we got you set for the Flames and the Rangers. Tuesday night at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Also a look at the opposition with Vince Mercogliano from USA Today covering the New York Rangers. New York 3-2 and two in five games to start the season. Flames with a 6-1 record. 6-0-1 oh record, excuse me. And their last seven meetings with the Rangers going back to the 2018-2019 season. Still to come this hour, we'll hear from head coach Ryan Huska. We'll get you caught up on a snowy day in McMahon Stadium as the Calgary Stampeders look to continue their uh, run late in the season, uh, finish off the regular season perhaps with another victory. They take on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers Friday night at McMahon Stadium. We've got a Stamps report coming your way in just moments, and we're checking in with our pal Sean Merriman, former NFL linebacker for the San Diego Chargers and the Buffalo Bills, talking all things NFL a little later this hour with Sean. Uh, but we start it right now with news coming down from the NHL. Commissioner Gary Bettman, who uh, heard Rasmus Anderson's appeal of his four-game suspension on Monday, has come down with a ruling, and he has decided to uphold the four-game suspension uh, suspension for Rasmus Anderson. So there will be no change. Um, that's generally expected as how these things go. Um with the process of it being under five games and not going to a neutral arbitrator, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Gary Bettman to disagree with the decision that his own league and the Department of Player Safety make. So it's very rare that these change at all. Uh, it was a very surprisingly quick process this time around, but uh, Rasmus Anderson's four-game suspension is upheld. He will serve game two of that suspension Tuesday night. When the Flames take on the New York Rangers, and it is official now, he will not take place, uh, take part, I should say, in the Heritage Classic coming up on Sunday in Edmonton. So potentially no Connor McDavid for the Oilers, and we know no Rasmus Anderson for the Calgary Flames. So that's the latest news for the team today. We don't have any lines or deep pairings. It was an optional morning skate. What I can tell you about uh, Tuesday's game Against the Rangers, it'll be Igor Shesterkin going for the Rangers. Jacob Markstrom expected to get the start for your Calgary Flames. Uh, one lineup change we do know is coming. Dryden Hunt should be in the lineup for the Calgary Flames tonight, making his season debut, while A.J. Greer expected to be your extra forward for tonight. So Markstrom starting in goal, Dryden Hunt into the lineup, Shesterkin going for the New York Rangers. Let's hear from head coach Ryan Huska on a game day. He spoke to the media following an optional morning skate for his crew as they kick off a two-game homestand against the Rangers at the Saddle Dome. 
Coach, we just talked to Nikita Zadorov, and he talked about the team needing to have uncomfortable conversations to make sure everyone was buying in and playing for the team as opposed to playing as individuals. Is that something that you've seen, and do you think that it's important for this group? Uh, to play as a team? And to have those conversations. Um, that's part of leadership, for sure. Um, and you have to play as a team in this league, otherwise it's going to be hard to win on a nightly basis, for sure. Have you, have you noticed that individual mentality on the ice as opposed to that collective team mentality that you no, it's it's not. I wouldn't say individual mentality um, in regards to effort. The issue that we talked about yesterday was how we managed the, the puck at times, and that's something that we have to do a better job of cleaning up, and oftentimes that falls in the individual, but I won't say individual effort type things. Like for lack of a better word, selfishness. Like, how, how what would you attribute? No, to that sometimes team? it's trying to do a little bit too much. Um, you get into stretches where you want to help the team win, or I want to. We got to find a way to get a goal at, at this point of a game. So you try a little bit too much instead of making the smart, simple play. Yeah. What have you made of Nazem Kadri's play through the first six games of the year? I think Naz has worked. I mean, that's one thing you'll see from him. Um, you want him to to find the back of the net at some point for sure. But while he's working to find that, it's important that um, the other part of his game is really good too. So it's that old saying, if you're not scoring or it's not going in for you, you want to make sure you're really good in other areas as well. Ryan, what, what comes to mind when uh, I asked you about the last time these two teams met at yeah. MSG? Yeah. What do you remember about that game? It was one of the best games I've been a part of for sure. Um, there was a lot of energy and a lot of juice in that game. The building in New York was really... Um, feeling it at that time I would say and two teams that you wouldn't expect to have that almost a little bit of hatred in that game did so it made for a real um, uh, a terrific game to be a part of for sure and um, players remember that like it's it's nice to have uh, an original six team come in um, in a situation like this because you always get a little bit more energy for them uh, in our with our great fans here for sure uh, and the players as well they feel it. If, if sorry, for a guy like Kadri then, or anyone that's maybe not fine the score sheet as a coach, how can you sort of put them in a spot where they eventually uh, do find their uh, It's not necessarily put them there. It's just stay with it a lot of times and work the right way. What challenges do the Rangers present tonight? Uh, a lot. Another uh, very good, very deep team. Um, the neutral zone's a difficult place for sure when you're playing against them and you, you, you know their power play unit's been together for a long period of time. And then they're showing this year to be a very stingy team. So um, you have to almost anticipate a low-scoring type of game. Matt Coronado's talked about knowing it'll be a big adjustment to playing this many games. Like he hasn't come close to this, and you've talked about that as well. Yep. How do you sort of monitor his energy, if that's the right word, or, or how he's handling that workload? Yeah, I think you, just as you said it, you monitor him. So if he's, his pace is starting to drop a little bit or he's not having as much impact, then maybe there's a, a way we can reduce some of his ice time at times. Um, so we work with him in those situations, try to help him over the hump. Um, but you're, you're right, you, have to, you do have to monitor that on a daily basis because it is a different, different thing for him this year. You've already switched Jonathan Huberto from the top line to the second line in the Detroit game. I know it's really early in the year, but I was just curious about the thinking of placing him there. And Do you feel you have the ideal center for him on this team right now? Um, I'm not even really sure if there's what top lines we're talking about. So we have a lot of good centermen on our team, you know. Um, so, uh, and we don't really know where our lines are going to be at yet tonight. There you go. That's Flames head coach Ryan Huska. He spoke to the media following morning skate. It was an optional one for the Calgary Flames to so that comment at the end. Not really sure what lineups are going to look like. 
that uh, goes with what we saw at practice and why we'll have to wait until Flames warm up a little bit later on tonight when the team takes to the ice for their pregame skate uh, to get an indication of how his team is going to line up against the New York Rangers. Again, that uh, conversation did come before the news this afternoon that uh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman has upheld the four-game suspension for defenseman Rasmus Anderson. He'll serve game two of that four-game suspension tonight. Uh, miss the game Thursday against the St. Louis Blues and now officially will miss Sunday in Edmonton for the Heritage Classic as well. So it will be a full four-game suspension for Rasmus Anderson, the NHLPA had argued that it uh, should be reduced to three games. The commissioner felt differently. And uh, that's where we are with the Calgary Flames on a game day against the New York Rangers. Again, quick reminder, 745 puck drop tonight at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Steinberg's got your Flames warm up around 630. Puck drop with Derek and Megan right here on your home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan is part of the NHL's frozen frenzy with all 32 teams in action all 16 games with staggered start time so that no two games start at the same time. That's why we're at a 745 puck drop Tuesday night at the Scotia Bank Saddle Dome. We will shift from the Saddle Dome to McMahon Stadium where the weather is uh, playing hazardous for the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, they're getting set for their final home game of the regular season. Luckily, now they know it's not their final game of the season period. They will be in the nice indoor confines of BC Place in about two weeks' time for the West semifinal, but they would love to end the season off on a bit of a winning streak. To do so, they'll have to beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on Friday at McMahon. It could be a chilly affair for the Stampeders, but they must be prepared nonetheless. Let's check in with Matt Rose for your Tuesday edition of the Stamps Report. This, this is the Stamps Report with Matty Rose. The Stampeders held their first couple of cold-weather practices Monday and Tuesday as they prepare for the final game of the regular season Friday against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This is a game with no playoff implications for the club. They clinched a playoff spot Saturday with the Rough Riders losing to the Argos. Calgary headed to BC for the West semifinal. That'll be the first weekend of November. They'll get to play an indoor playoff game against the team they just beat to get themselves into the postseason. But first, they have this tilt against Winnipeg. It's the last game for the Bombers before their bye, so got to think they won't rest everybody on their roster, but maybe not show everything they have ahead of the playoffs. Head coach and general manager Dave Dickinson had this to say about how he would go about putting his roster together. I'm going to play the guys that I hope can win, and uh, that's about it, really. We're going to just practice hard the next couple of days and figure it out as it goes forward. We understand uh, we've got a playoff game coming up, but uh, we need to build on momentum. We're not playing that great. Uh, our team understands we've got to get better each and every week. Uh, so an opportunity is there to play. Let's go do it. As far as the particulars involved, Tuesday, a closed practice. But Brandon Dozier was not practicing on Monday. He's been missing some time recently, but did have a hard collision in that game against BC. Finished off the game, but with the cold weather, he had a day off. We'll look to the afternoon injury report to see if he got a step closer. But resting the veteran with rookie Michael Griffin ready to come off the injured list and get some reps in the final week of the season. That's not a bad place for the team to be. Also on the injury report, kind of a similar situation. Renee Paradis, the kicker, did not practice. The veteran has a shoulder injury that he played through against BC. Same deal as Dozier. If they sit Paredes and go with global, ki global kicker Toshi Sato against Winnipeg, 
that would not be a shocker either. Brad Muhammad has a hand injury. That'll be something to monitor as we get closer to Friday. But more importantly, the playoffs. He's been a mainstay in the secondary since rejoining the team midseason. On the offense, Sean McEwen did not practice, but the center was not available for a very good reason. Sean had a baby, so uh, congratulations. Uh, I didn't get the details yet on it, but... Uh, I think he's getting discharged from the hospital today with his wife, and uh, everyone's healthy. So uh, I guess it was perfect timing, to be honest with you, because he has a lot on his plate and a lot is weighing on his mind. Uh, uh, so it seems like everything worked out. So congratulations to Sean, the new dad. Great timing, as the head coach and general manager said there. The group coming off a great effort in BC. The offensive line were actually the top-rated group by Pro Football Focus for Week 20. Just the first time all season that they have graded out as the top unit. Zach Williams, Bryce Bell, and Ryan Sevier as the top players. Dave Dickinson talked about that unit's work against the BC Lions. And as the offensive line succeeds, so does the running backs. Kadeem Carey and Peyton Logan combined for 193 yards rushing against BC, added another 26 yards through the air. That dynamic duo of Kadeem Carey and Peyton Logan looked very good, and Logan looked a lot more like himself in his second game back from injury. Yeah, he looked good. I mean, uh, as you guys saw it, he looked good and uh, got a good running back room. So uh, Kadeem looked good too. Uh, that's kind of, I guess, uh, status quo in the offensive line is doing some good things as well. So the one thing, like you said, we want to be balanced. We, we didn't feel like our pass game was too bad, except we had a few drops early and that hurt us. And then uh, we certainly made some plays as well. So let's be balanced. Let's find ways to, to get first downs and score touchdowns. A good run game would be huge for the playoffs. On top of that, Stamps were 4 for 6 in red zone scoring touchdowns last week. That's a good place to be. They had 0 turnovers to 6 for the Lions. That's great. They also only took 4 penalties for 50 yards combined to 10 penalties for 117 yards by BC. All these things in a strong run game that all helps in the postseason. Had a chance to catch up with Peyton Logan after practice. We talked about how he got back on the field and helping this team in the postseason. You're here with uh, Peyton Logan. Uh, I wanted to just ask, you got a couple games back under your belt now obviously had a big game there against the Lions how much are you feeling more like yourself right now yeah I'm getting closer to myself and uh yeah that's not much to say to that I feel like myself again I'm ready to play ready to get back out there how much have you been itching to kind of get out there and, and show what you can do we all knew it but to get out there and have that performance that must have been something you were sitting on for a while since the end of last season so that's how long I've been waiting so I've been waiting since off season. When I got hurt, kind of it was disappointed, but I knew I was going to come back healthier and perform. So, Tell us a little bit about the recovery process. What did it take to kind of get back? It was a long process for you. It was definitely a long process, but I trusted it because, for one, that was my first hamstring injury that I've had in my career. So I was just like, let it play out. Don't try to rush it. Come back too soon. So I want to re-agitate or re-injure it again. So I did that, came back. Show what I could do. Is that the longest time you've ever missed with injury in your career? Professionally, yeah. Yeah? In college, something a little different maybe? No, nah, high school I broke my ankle, but it's about Ooh. it. Yeah, that was a little bit of a different recovery yeah, from that. A little bit different. A little bit more than a year. What was it like watching Kadeem and Diedrich kind of carry the mail for you while you were out? I mean, they was doing their job. They was doing what they were supposed to do. I love watching them boys run because everybody got a different style of running. So... It was just, it was an amazing experience. This is just like seeing action figures go at it. Sure. 
I like that. And, you know, it's a great point, the fact that everybody has a little bit of a different style, too. Like, is that something that you're kind of cognizant of as a running back, the different styles that guys like to play? Is there certain things you can appreciate in other people's game that you might not necessarily be able to do? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I appreciate how, like, Kadeem can make people miss so well at his size. And same thing with Dedrick. He can run through anybody. And then with me and Bell, we just speed. So you can switch up the pace however you want to, and it's going to work. Tell us about the rest of the season. you got the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this week at home, and then it's back to BC Place for your first postseason game here with uh, this season against the Lions. How are you looking at the rest of the season here? Ready to do our job, do our 112th, and we'll see what happens. Well, best of luck, man. Thank you. The Stampeders are going back to BC for the playoffs, but first, one more with Winnipeg Friday. Final practice Wednesday. Walk through in depth charts Thursday before the game, Friday at 7.30. With your Stamps report, I'm Matt Rose. Thank you, Matty. Appreciate that. As always, Stampeders and Blue Bombers, Friday night at McMahon Stadium, the final home game of the season for the Stampeders. Obviously, they're off to BC for the West semifinal in two weeks' time. Just a quick reminder, it is Fan Appreciation Day at McMahon Stadium on Friday. A chance for them to say thank you uh, to the fans. It's the return of the popular jerseys off our back event. 45 randomly selected fans will be taking home a jersey worn by a Stamps player this season. The lucky winners get the opportunity to have uh, the Stamps player sign their game-worn jersey. They're also doing a Stampeders 30 Days of Prizing promotion. Fans can win great prizes, including flight vouchers, uh, trip for two to a 2024 Stampeders road game, tickets, jerseys, and more. And uh, in addition, all fans in attendance will have a chance to come onto the field after the game. And the Dueling Piano Kings will be performing on the field at halftime and again at the Stamps House after the contest. So 7 o'clock kickoff Friday night at McMahon Stadium. Go out and give the boys a good send-off before they head out to BC for the West Semi-Final. We're, of course, focused in. On a Calgary Flames game day here in the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. It's the Flames and the New York Rangers for the first of two meetings this season. Flames with a strong record against the Rangers. 6-0-1 in their last seven meetings dating back to 2018-2019. Your goaltending matchup, Jacob Markstrom going up against Igor Shesterkin. Dryden Hunt expected to make his season debut for the Flames. And in case you missed it a little bit earlier on, uh, breaking news this afternoon that Commissioner Gary Bettman has upheld the four-game suspension for, suspension for Flames defenseman Rasmus Anderson. So he will miss tonight's contest in uh, game two of his suspension, as well as Thursday night against the Blues and Sunday night in Edmonton against the Oilers for the Heritage Classic. We'll take a break, come back on the other side, chatting all things NFL with former NFL All-Pro Pro Bowl linebacker for the Buffalo Bills and the San Diego Chargers, Sean Merriman. He joins the program next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Week 7 of the NFL season wrapped up last night with Monday Night Football. How about Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings? A little bit of a statement game there. No Justin Jefferson, no problem. Vikings 22, 49ers 17. Never a boring week in the NFL. Week 8 kicks off on Thursday night. We got the Bills and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Plenty going on around the NFL right now. Whenever we talk NFL, one person we love to chat with. Welcome to our next guest down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Former Buffalo Bill, former San Diego Charger, NFL All-Pro linebacker, 
the Taylor Swift to our Travis Kelsey. Very happy to welcome in Sean Merriman to the program. Sean, thanks for doing this as always, pal. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Does that mean I get a $5,000 bracelet or what? <laughs> I, I don't know. We got to make sure that the, the movie rights come in first and uh, make sure you're good with Mama Kelsey and everything, and then we'll talk about that a little bit later in the relationship. <laughs> Sorry, we'll, we'll put it on railway. Just break it off a little bit at a time. Exactly. We'll How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man, just cranking away. Uh, you know, for me, this time of year is fun, man, because I got, you know, obviously football to talk about and obviously with, with lifetime extreme fight in my MMA league. So I get a chance to talk about both, man. So it's, uh, you know, these, these seven months are always the funnest time of the year for me. Great to hear, man. Love chatting with you. Excited to chat some football with you. Get into uh, what's going on with uh, extreme fighting as well with your group. But uh, I got to start, man. What's going on with the Chargers right now? A tough loss to the Chiefs. I don't think anyone's going to blame them for losing to the Super Bowl champs. It's a good team there, but uh, another tough year for the Chargers, sitting at 2-4 and four right now. What do you see going on with this group, Sean? I mean, where, where do you want to start? <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I've, been, I've been at all the home games, and I think the, the, the biggest problem that I, that I have is the scrutiny that's going to come from them, how bad they're playing. But if you look at it outside of playing the Chiefs, the rest of their games have been decided by seven points or less, yeah. right? And so it's not like they've just been getting blown out the water. They got 70 points hung on them like Denver did. Like, we, it's not one of those, you know, 40 to nothing, how the Cowboys opened up with the Giants. So it hasn't been that. But you look at the team with Justin Herbert and Cannon Island and Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, all these guys, and look at seeing them not win the games, that's when the question started to come in, right? I think that the general manager, Tom Telesco, I think he put together a great team, a great roster. You know, they got players on both sides of the ball. And when you just see them not finishing games, you're like, man, what's the issue? And I think that there's a, there's a lot of thinking, overthinking too much on the plate instead of guys just going out and playing football. That's, that's my take on it. When, I, when I'm at the games, I see what's happening on defense. I see what some of the problems are. There's just way too much on the plate, man. The guys are not going out playing fast and playing football. It's just not happening. Yeah, and you mentioned there that there's so much talent on that group, but I think that's why expectations the last couple of years have been so high going in for that group. But it can be tough. You know, Bosa's dealing with injuries. I think Khalil Mack at this point in his career is a good situational pass rusher. But you're right, it, it can be tough. It feels like that group's just missing maybe – just that little bit of that mental aspect when it comes to the end of games and, and finishing off these these close, tough matchups against some really good teams that they faced this year, Sean. Yeah, and, and guess what? That scrutiny is just going to keep happening until they finish games, right? It just, until, yeah. you get, uh, until you finish strong and, 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 and creep out of some of those wins, look, that game that they, they had against Miami Dolphins where they opened up was 36-34. That game was a complete shootout. Right, and that looked bad until they went and go hang, uh, hung seventy points on Denver. You're like, oh crap, this team is actually good. <laughs> so you have to find a way to come out on top of some of those games. You're not gonna, you're not gonna go to un- undefeated. You're gonna have some games that you drop. Some, you know, some, some a, a team. Look at look at the Lions just lost. I mean, the Ravens came out. They were on a different level coming out of that game. Right? Does that mean the Lions are not a good team? No, they they're still good. They're still a really good team. It's just that one one team showed up one day and the other one didn't. And that's what's happening with the Chargers right now. They're getting a position to win games. They're just not finishing. And until they figure that part out, man, the, the, that 800-pound gorilla is just going to be on, be on the Chargers' back. It's going to be on Justin Herbert's back. You know, his, his skill level, uh, his notoriety in, in the NFL, w- w- how people rate it and look at him as a quarterback, is all going to be there until they figure out how to finish games. 
is that more on the players? Is that on the coaching staff, or is it a group thing, Sean? I think it's the coaching staff, man. Uh, you got you got guys that's uh, that's on this team that we know that can make plays, right? Khalil Mack go out and have six, five, six sacks against the Raiders. Um, we we Joe, uh, Joey Bosa, Pro Bowl guys. You got you know Austin Eckler, Everett, Keenan Allen. I know Mike Williams went down for the year with that with that knee. Uh, but they're still loaded on the offense side of the ball, man. So when you look at it, you know you got guys that are capable of playing. Now you got to put them in position to go make plays, and I don't think that's been happening. Uh, Sean, I wanted to talk to you about uh, something that's kind of been a story of the NFL so far this season. Uh, the Eagles have brought in what they're calling the tush push on fourth and one, and it's worked pretty damn well for them. Some people talking about maybe that's a play that shouldn't be allowed in the NFL or that it's – somehow going against the spirit of the rules of the game. Sean Merriman's opinion of the tush push, legal play, illegal play. How do you see that one coming down, man? I, I just want it to be fair across. I don't have a problem with it. And I just want it to be fair across the board. And I don't know if you guys remember or not when they uh, on a field goal plot where they, you know, you normally had two or three guys pushing over the center, um, right? So they stopped that. You, even if you jump over the line of scrimmage, you can't come down in the offensive uh, side on the offensive player. So if you're going to make these rules and let them do what they do on offense, then we should be able to do it on defense, right? The yep. defensive guy should be able to do it. Now, I say if there's a problem, there's always a solution. We saw Fred Warner go, and I've been saying it the whole entire year when, you know, when, they, when they were running that play to the Eagles. Why does somebody just don't go over top, right? Yeah. Because what I see what happening is once you start hitting, your fran- hitting their franchise quarterback, they will get out of that relatively quickly, and that's exactly what happened. Fred Warner went right over the top. And he, he hit uh, Jalen Hurts in the backfield, and he stopped that play. Now, one, a few of those times that happening, and they land on Jalen Hurts wrong, will he get injured or something happen? I promise you they will get out of that play very, uh, relatively quickly. It seems like the only logical way to stop it because we've seen so many guys, Sean, trying to get low in that situation, but I, I don't know that the leverage works in that small of an area. It really seems like you got to have – I mean, not everyone's got Fred Warner. That's a pretty impressive linebacker uh, to do what he does. But going low certainly doesn't seem to be the way to stop that play either. Nope, nope. And it doesn't even look. Fred Warner is an exceptional linebacker. He is, you know, in my opinion, the best linebacker, inside linebacker in the NFL behind Smith and maybe one other guy. But um, you, know, you just take your most athletic guy, yeah. right? You got a guy a vertical that can jump over top, you know, a strong safety, a Derwin James, anybody of that magnitude, and send him right upstairs. And if they're going to allow that play to continue to be legal, no problem. Well, I'm going over the top, and I'm landing right on Jalen Hurts. They will find a way to get out of that play. Uh, Eagles made some big news uh, coming down yesterday. They've been a team, Sean, that's been real aggressive, acquiring veterans across the league to help them out. Last time they made a trade with the Titans, it worked out pretty well, and they got A.J. Brown. They're now bringing in safety Kevin Byer via trade. Why don't we see more teams take risks like this in your mind? It feels like so few teams – are willing to give up even later round picks to bring in a guy midseason? Well, I, I take the Rams. I would use them as a perfect example, right? You load up, give everything you got, you win the Super Bowl, and spend the next couple of years rebuilding. And if you want to win, and, and by the way, the Eagles are right there. They were there last year, but if you want to get an opportunity to get back there, don't play around, right? You go into yeah. free agency, see who's on the street, put him. Get them off the couch. If they, you feel like they can help and give your team just a little bit more, you bring them in because you have this in every – this is every single organization outside of the Patriots, right? They had Tom Brady for two decades winning games. 
most organizations have about a three or four year window where they act the good ones who actually have a chance of winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'll use Seattle. Seattle was one at the Legion of Boom when they were all fired up there. They had a good three or four year run. After that, the team breaks up. Contract, injuries, coaching staff changes, everything. So the Eagles are there. They have an opportunity to get back there. So they're going to use any method they can by bringing in anybody that can help them win right now. You think more teams should be open to doing that, or is it just a case of not everybody is in the spot like the Eagles are? Yeah, I think that there's no need because some teams are so far off, they ain't got a chance in hell, right? Yeah. I mean, no, that's fair. The Arizona Cardinals, we, we constantly talk about them tanking and trying to get Caleb Williams or whoever else in there because they're going to be moving off from their quarterback. So it's no need of bringing in a, a top-end guy like that. If you're far off from winning games anyway because you may need five positions and they may be in a rebuilding year, maybe the quarterback that they don't, you know, don't have a lot of uh, confidence in in the future, now they may get a Caleb Williams coming out of college, USC. They may – Say, you know what, now we got to get him a number one wide receiver. Let's see who the best wide receiver is in the market, and let's bring him in. Let's give him some weapons. So when a team is so far from winning games and being a good ball club, I don't think there's a big need of bringing any uh, big-time players last minute to help, you know, situational football happen. Is that maybe why we see more guys like, say, like a Julio Jones, a guy that's a, a free agent, Sean, it's not going to cost you anything to bring him in, and you can – Take that chance. If it doesn't work out, you can part ways, but you haven't lost any draft capital per se. Yeah, because you think about this. I mean, we all know Julio Jones is older. He's not who he was. But you don't bring Julio Jones to play three downs for you, right? You bring Julio Jones in to make that one big play when you need him to. Um, And I played with guys like that on the defense side of the ball where it's like, you know, I remember them talking about Mario Williams back in the day, and I'm like, oh, he doesn't do this, he does that. Well, Mario Williams decided to turn it on. You couldn't block him. And yeah. he, he, he's going to go out there and make that big play when you need him. That's why you bring Julio Jones in because you don't need him to start. You don't need him to play 50 snaps a game. You need to line him up, and when, it, when the game is on the line, have another opportunity to score. Uh, Sean, i got to ask you about a guy that's uh, making a case to be one of those special defensive players. Maybe he already is. Uh, he was a game changer for the Browns in their win over the Colts. Uh, Miles Garrett, first line staff had, uh, stat line was ridiculous. Uh, two sacks, two forced fumbles, six tackles, an outrageous blocked field goal, which is going to be on highlight reels for the longest period of time. Uh, are we starting to see Miles Garrett get into that defensive player of the year type of, of talent for Cleveland? I think he's always been there. But what we're saying now out of Miles Garrett, it was my only gripe that I've ever had with him because he's such a phenomenal, freakish athlete. I mean, you know, people are talking about when I played and what I look like and explosion of speed. This dude mm-hmm. is unreal. I mean, he, he look at him in person. He just he looked like an action figure character. <laughs> and, you know, one of the plays in particular a couple of weeks ago when he's dribbling the, like a basketball, right, going down the center and then picks the side of the center and pass. It's a, this, this guy is so – athletically gifted that he can go out there and actually toy with offensive linemen. And that's, that's where he's on the level. But my problem has always been with him is I don't, I didn't see him playing for 60 minutes. Yeah. Right. He didn't go all out for 60 minutes. That was my only issue. I think this time around this year, something clicked with him where he's realizing that he can't be stopped and he's keeping the pressure on for all four quarters. We haven't seen this miles Garrett before. Are are guys like Miles Garrett that have that that extra size to him? Because you mentioned he's he's a different kind of athlete. He he's like that Aaron Donald type that I don't want to say is more valuable, Sean, than just a straight pass rusher. But you can line Miles Garrett up in in any spot on the defensive line. He's going to be an issue, right? 
Oh, yeah, we, we've seen him line up in a three-technique playing D-tackle and loop out to the outside, starting inside and rushing back in or vice versa. Um, that The play I just described, he was he blitzed right down the half man down the center. This guy's incredible. And then when you have someone like that, you can't really plan for him, right, because if he's going to be moved over at any given spot, now the offensive line protection changes, um, going to allow a one-on-one somewhere else. Somebody else is going to make a play. But that's how much disruption this guy caused. He, you got to every time he lines up, they're calling him out and what he's going to do, yeah. and they'll let they'll let another guy in that front seven win before they let him. You think that that playing a sixty minute game and being that impact maker for four quarters, you think some of that comes with with maturity in the league as well as this guy's spent a couple years there and kind of learned what it takes to be a pro. I think that, but also too, you know, when you go back and watch film and you see a guy like him that's dominating the play and he go missing four quarter. Um, at some point in time, you start to realize, hey, man, if I did this in four quarters, nobody can stop me. Yeah. And as crazy as that sounds, it, it, it happens a lot um, where a guy saying, you know what, I'm just going to you, – you guys going to have to deal with me for four quarters. I'm going to make a play when and if I want to or whenever I want to. Once your mentality changes to that, it is very difficult to deal with a guy like Miles Garrett. Talking all things NFL, a former all-pro linebacker for the San Diego Chargers and Buffalo Bills, Sean Merriman, who joins us this afternoon. Uh, Sean, on Sunday it was National Tight Ends Day. A lot of tight ends uh, showing out great uh, as usual across the NFL. They become such an important position. You played with one of the best, if not the best of all time. Uh, Take us back a bit. Let our listeners know what it was like on a daily basis watching Antonio Gates do his thing. Well, you know, look, I was fortunate and unfortunate because I played against <laughs> Vernon Davis with, with Vernon Davis in college, right? So, yeah. you know, you're talking about a, a tight end that's 250 that runs a 4340 <laughs> that I had to run around with the practice. So I was well equipped to uh, <laughs> to go against smokes in practice. Right? I was already ready for it. Um, but, you know, one thing with, with, with Antonio Gates, man, I just don't think he gets enough credit on how – now, he wasn't like an exceptional block or whatever. He, he, he became really good at knowing what he wasn't good at, right, and cutting people off, getting in the way, and just doing what they needed him to do to win on blocks. And there was no, no way that you were going to stay with him in practice because, you know, he played basketball in college, so to stay with him, he had these jump cuts. He would come in and out of his break so much. It was almost like a crossover in basketball. You couldn't stay in front of him. And so sometimes he would just come up and run the option route and, you know, kind of nodding his head and kind of, uh, you know, doing his own thing. Before you know it, he's gone. He's in and out of his breaks. And, it, you know, I've never seen him really drop a ball in practice. Um, and, you know, he's, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer, man. I was privileged to get a chance to see that every day. Um, even though I played against some great ones. I, you know, Gronk is up there. Tony Gonzalez is up there. Yeah. I played against all these guys. But in my personal opinion, you know, Antonio Gates were the best. I got to imagine – a guy like Antonio Gates opened a lot of doors for guys that we see in the league nowadays, right? Like a, a Travis Kelsey, a George Kittle, that the idea of, of what a, a tight end could do for your offense, he's got to be one of the guys that you look at, Sean, and say, look, we don't have some of these great tight ends if we don't have Antonio Gates doing what he did for a long time in, in, in San Diego. Yeah, and, you know, I'll go all the way back to the Shannon Shops in the world. All these guys are great, man. But I think that what uh, what Antonio Gates did was he made it popular, right? You you even had some teams that would draft or have former basketball players on their their team who never played football, who's going to try out and and spending a year, two years with them to let them get kind of acclimated to the football field because of Antonio Gates. You know, I played with – 
you know, Vincent Jackson, who was another college, you know, basketball player. Yep. You know, Tony Tony Gonzalez was a basketball player, but I think that when when Antonio Gates did it, he was like a legitimate star, a basketball player in college who converted over and brought his skills onto the football field and then elevated them. I mean, to, to watch him grow, man, as a football player, because he's always had the skill to catch a ball, but to watch him, you know, coming down to the line of scrimmage and cut off blocks and just watch him become an overall football player, man, was pretty impressive. This might be a tough one for you on the tight end conversation. I know how highly you think of Travis Kelsey. I know it's tough uh, as a Chargers alumni sometimes watching him a couple times a season because uh, he's so good. I think it's fair to say that Travis is well on his way to being in the Hall of Fame himself one day. Who's the next group of tight end in your mind? Like Who's behind Travis Kelsey when you talk about the best tight ends in the NFL today, Sean? Um, I, I think Kittle yeah. um, is up there. Uh, you definitely got to put him up there. Uh, I know that Waller's been bouncing around a lot, but he, he's another one. They just haven't really found a way to get him the ball as much. Um, you know, the, the, I, I think the, the tight end from the Ravens had a phenomenal game, you know, against, uh, against the Lions. He's having a great year. So there's three or four guys, but it's, I, I hate making those comparisons, man. Even somebody asked me the other day about Travis Kelsey and, and him being all-time great. I said, you can't put him up here yet because he's not done, right? Yeah. Like, he – he could very well go out there and play another year, two years, three years at a high level and surpass everybody. And people were so pissed off. They were just like, how do you, how do you have Travis? I said, I'm not putting him up there because this dude has another two or three years to play at a high level. He could surpass everybody, yeah. right? He could finish number one. Um, but, you know, I, I just hate making those comparisons because obviously when you're talking about the, uh, the top five of any position that ever do it, like you almost can't be wrong. Right, like yeah. somebody have this, the conversation between Antonio Gates, Kellen Winslow Jr., Shannon Sharp, uh, Gronk, Gonzalez. I'm like, dude, listen, I play with I play with Antonio. I think he's the best in my opinion. But if you put him at number two or three, I'm not going to sit down there and jump down your throat, man. <laughs> you're, you're talking about the top five uh, greatest of all time. Yeah, it feels like you're always going to be leaving somebody out, regardless of position uh, that somebody feels is is worthy and probably has a good argument. Uh, to be in that conversation. Uh, Sean, one of the things we love talking with you about, uh, as you know, we started this off uh, after your playing career, uh, Lights Out Extreme Fighting has got another card coming up in November. First of all, you had a big one in October that we talked to you about. How did that one go, and how much are you looking forward to uh, Saturday, November 18th for another chance on Fubo TV, man? That that last fight we had was insane. I knew it was going to be big, but I didn't, you know, the, the numbers that came back, you know, obviously we jumped to 75% viewership on Fubo, and that's, that's really thanks to all the people out there watching. Like, we don't control that stuff. Yeah. I get an opportunity to come talk about it on shows like this, but, you know, I, that don't make people go and watch. So, you know, when I hear that people are enjoying the fight, the, the production, uh, we sold out with 150, almost 200 people standing outside. Um, you know, we had three or four big knockouts, big hits, and we had some, we had some, uh, some guys get knocked. And we got this next one coming up November 18th in Long Beach. You can uh, find more information on the lightsoutxf.com. Um, and then Fubo. We'll be live with Fubo Sports, Fubo TV. So if you guys don't have Fubo, make sure you get it. Uh, Sean, I should mention this too. We had a couple of people tell me last time you came on, they went out and checked out Fubo. They checked out the card. They loved it. Uh, they love what you guys are doing down there. So you got a fan base growing up here uh, in Canada. Looking forward to this card on the 18th. Appreciate you coming on as always, man. Take care. We'll chat with you sometime sooner. We're to that card one more time, hey? You got it, man. Thanks for having me. And, and November 18th, live on Fubo Sports, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 12. going to be a big one. Appreciate you, Sean. Take care, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sean Merriman joining us. 
down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. You can check them out on Twitter or X, whatever they're calling it. Uh, yes, lightsoutxf.com uh, for ticket details or if you want to watch it. Um, it's not UFC level fighting. It's something that Sean started up in his own uh, leisure post career that's turned into a, a pretty big uh, event in Southern California. And a chance, if you're a fight fan, uh, check out uh, lightsoutxf.com. Fubo Sports, Fubo TV is how you can watch it. Uh, Sean Merriman, the former NFL All Pro linebacker, joining us, chatting all things NFL and his ventures post playing career as well. Those two hours flew by. Uh, it's a Flames game day, of course. We're getting ready for the Flames and the New York Rangers from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. What can we tell you about tonight's game? A goaltending matchup expected to be Sean, uh, expected to be Igor Shesterkin versus Jacob Markstrom. Dryden Hunt expected to enter into the Flames lineup for AJ Greer. It was an optional morning skate, so we do not have lines or D pairings to get you to. Uh, we can tell you one person who won't be on the D pairings for the Calgary Flames. That's Rasmus Anderson. His four-game suspension has been upheld by Commissioner Gary Bettman. He'll serve game two of that four-game suspension tonight, as well as Thursday night against the Blues. And Sunday, he will not participate in the outdoor game against the Edmonton Oilers. 6.30, Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg. 7.45, puck drop with Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson right here on your home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan, as part of the NHL's Frozen Frenzy, all 32 teams in action on this Tuesday. Quick thank yous to wrap up the show. Thank you to Cam and Taylor, my outstanding producers on this Tuesday. Thank you to you listening, whether live or on the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you shoot us a text at 960-960, we appreciate you as well. And uh, to our guest today, Sean Merriman, who joined us. Matt Rose, who gave us a stamps report a little bit earlier on. Uh, if you missed any of that, check it out on the podcast as well as some game day audio Great stuff from Nikita Zadorov. We also heard from Nazim Kadri and Ryan Huska. All of that up and available on the podcast, wherever you get your favorite pod, Google, Amazon, Spotify, your favorite podcatcher. Check out Sportsnet Today 960. We'll be back tomorrow here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.